I V M. Teams Planer, welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Planer's mission to be cluttered the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories. We've got a one-month free trial for you in the show notes, so don't forget to take us for a free spin. But for now, just sit back, relax, and don't let the news give you the blues. I'm Sarah, your host for the day, and we have a full house today with both Vagda and Prafulla. As always, we have three segments for you. In our big story, we're looking at the government's new tour of duty model of recruitment for the tri services. For the food for thought segment, we're talking about the debacle over a Google engineer being convinced that a chatbot generator is sentient. And then in our final segment, like always, we will be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items. So let's begin with our big story. The union government on Tuesday announced the launch of a new defense recruitment policy called Agnipath, which will be applicable to the tri-services, the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. Soldiers will be recruited for a period of four years in this new model of tour of duty, which includes a six-month training period, after which they will be released from service. However, 25% of them will be relisted as permanent soldiers for the full period of 15 years. The scheme is projected to recruit at least around 45,000 people between the ages of 17.5 and 21 years of age. And during this period, they will get a starting salary of 30,000, along with additional benefits, which will go up to around 40,000 by the end of their four-year service. Also important to note that Agnipath will become the sole recruitment route for soldiers to the tri-services. And interestingly, women will also be inducted under the Agnipath scheme. Earlier, you only had officers, except for in a few cases, like women officers, but not in the Javan ranks. But the... Announcement also said this will depend on the needs of the respective services, whatever that means. The reason for this policy? Well, it is intended to curb the ballooning defense pension bill in particular that accounts for almost rupees 1.2 lakh crore just this financial year, which is about 25% of the defense budget. Officials also claim the program is designed to make the force leaner and younger. The government hopes to bring down the average age in the forces from around 32, which it is now, to 26 in six to seven years. It is all intended for a fresh lease of Josh and Jasba to the force. (laughs) I say this with that tone because it reminded me of the godforsaken House the Josh era. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Vicky Koshal. I will personally hold a grudge for this about this forever. <laughs> Fun fact, I thought like when I was writing this up and you know thinking about it, I thought I was the only one who was making all these house to Josh connections. First post entire Agnipath explainer is actually headlined House to Josh. So I wasn't like pushing it too yes. far. Anyway, <laughs> recruitment under this scheme is set to begin within the next 90 days. And I have a lot of questions. What happened to the remaining 75% of people who are likely to be in their early 20s while being released from service? They wouldn't be eligible for pension benefits and may not have completed their college degrees considering a lot of them will start at 17.5. But (laughs) what next for them? And veterans are also concerned that this new structure brought forward by the scheme can be detrimental to like the existing structure of the forces because right now regimental loyalty pride etc play a very significant role 
as a motivator of sorts, you know, in the harshest of circumstances. So how does that play into the success of defense operations, especially in combat situations? So, you know, I think first and foremost, we have to address the fact that this is completely a cost-cutting initiative by the government. Because like you said, Sarah, uh, we've either allocated upwards of 3,300 billion or that is 3.3 lakh crore in pensions over the last two years alone since 2020. And the expenditure on salaries and pensions has overtaken any expenditure that the army is doing on modernizing the forces that is artillery training soldiers upgrading any logistics i mean all for bringing these new jawans into their ranks they're really not they don't have really a plan for training them comprehensively right And uh, the irony here also is the fact that despite our huge salary and pension bills, there is a huge shortage in the dry services for personnel. Over 9,000 officers and over 1 lakh personnel, we're short of basically these many people in the army. And the army especially has the most vacancies and is also the most expensive of the dry services. And this is apparently also... I mean, the the expense, I think, can also be owed to the fact that it is the largest force, but I see what you mean. Yeah, no, that's what I mean, that uh, even though there are so many, it is the largest force, which also means that we have the largest vacancies, right? And I guess that is also what the government is trying to fill here with the scheme, right? Because uh, the military won't have to, they're getting new people in, they're getting batches every year, and they won't have to pay pensions once the Jawans leave the force, because they're getting 30 to 40,000 each year. And... uh, so out of what they get, 30% will go towards a fund called a Seva Nidhi, uh, which apparently the government will match what is going out of their salaries. And the Jawans will then receive this money after their four years are up. So sure, there are funds for injury, mm. death, and these Agnivirs will receive life insurance while they're with the force. But it gives off the impression that this is only slapping on a band-aid over the issue, right? And not really addressing or attempting to solve anything in a meaningful way, at least, because you're just having new people come in every year and using some part of it to fill in a void and letting the others go. And the government is also saying that once these Jawans leave, their time in the force will make them all the more attractive hires in the private sector. And boom, you solve unemployment. But uh, that doesn't make sense. Vagda, do you have anything else to add here? <laughs> it makes me... It makes me uh, I, I don't know. Every single, with every single episode, I'm like, do you think we're fools? Huh? Really? economics and you know this way you're cost cutting and it might actually work I don't know uh, in terms of like for the economics but I haven't seen anybody other than the cabinet committee on security be happy about this no one is happy about this reform hmm. who is happy about this reform the veterans are not happy about this reform we're go- constantly writing about these reforms or oh, being terrible and the youth is out on the streets protesting oh yeah <laughs> So let me just like go through what the veterans have been saying because I am not an expert. This is what I have read and I believe there is some semblance of logic to it. So first of all, veterans say that this short stint of six months of training is not nearly enough to be an effective member of the force. It takes you about two to three years to suitably train a Jawan. And on that point, uh, retired Lieutenant General H.S. Panag pointed out that unit and subunit cohesion is actually the prime 
like primary motivator in combat and it takes time mm. to build that kind of cohesion it'll take you a long period of living and training and experiencing rigors of all kinds of tenures you know field operational high altitude counter insurgency it takes time 4 years is not enough and by the time you get to you know some semblance of cohesion 75% of these uh, new hires will leave hmm. second point is about this employment which you brought up that employment after 4 years is going to be it's promised like oh it's going to solve the employment problem but how how i mean for officers right now people who go through the short service commission wagda for president you just go oh. but how explain <laughs> to me yeah like Please. you can't just say that this will solve the problem what will happen are you promising that you're going to get each and every one of them employed in the private sector or maybe in the government sector you're not doing hmm. that what is the strategy for this there there are people who've been working on this for like retired servicemen officers who have found it hard to get any kind of response from the private sector it's so hard to get employment yeah. after retirement and you're yeah. saying that you're going to get this for jawans who don't even have like a higher education degree who obviously joined somewhere in when they were 17 or 20 and obviously haven't completed their graduation so i'm not convinced and this is a totally fully valid point and there are other worries like at the end of these four years many of these military trained agni veers where are they going to be if they don't find employment first of all the kind of employment that they have previously found i mean jawans who are currently employed after their retirement as either security guards or poorly paid labor hmm. what will they do they will either form yeah. armed gangs they'll cause threat to the state or they if they are enterprising enough work for mercenary groups maybe outside of india maybe in india you don't really know Mm. uh and the other thing is that it looks a little like conscription this model although i mean it is voluntary conscription is something that is imposed on the youth here it is voluntary but it is it really voluntary i mean i am thinking because the kind of unemployment that you have it's not really un- <laughs> voluntary and this kind of model is like more suited to a technologically heavy army because for those 4 years you're developing your human by the time your human resource develops you're letting them go so who are you training them for i mean if you're training them to just operate some technology and that is what you're dependent on as an army that's great but you're not india is not a technologically heavy army you're a you're manned by human resources that's mainly your force so you should probably value that and if you want to modernize your army by cutting down on costs on pensions and salaries great that's a good thing to do but maybe run a pilot first you know make notes of the problems you face mm-hmm. see if the four year scheme actually matches up to expectations and establish a system for post employment first of all but this government i feel like it's just like a it's been a go big or go home type of government you know it's just like think demonetization <laughs> So maybe this is the pilot you know this hmm. is the pilot of course change the entire policy but pilot hmm. so has the josh my folks low <laughs> on that delightful note we come to the end of our first segment we'll be right back after a short break you're listening to press decode on the IVM podcast network Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. We're Team Splainer and in today's Food for Thought, we're talking about the ethics of artificial intelligence. Thanks to the debacle over a Google engineer being convinced that a chatbot generator is sentient. Yeah, 
you heard that right but basically a google engineer surely thinks that ai is alive true or not we'll get into that but just the thought absolutely terrifying jesus but here's how it panned out so last year google unveiled its breakthrough conversation technology which was essentially a chatbot generator called lambda or language model for dialogue applications the first time i read it i was like oh lambda so nice and then i was like uh tech bros named it of course it's boring anyway <laughs> no 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 have you have you heard this government's short forms <laughs> their the, the abbreviations <laughs> that they come up with have you heard of something called shakti s h a KTI stands for scheme for harnessing and allocating koila transparently <laughs> in india <laughs> just because they had to make it work they had to make it fit somehow <laughs> i'm honestly disappointed that agnipat and agnivir aren't like short forms mm. like potential yes. tha yaar <laughs> do saal mm. the kuch nahi banaya anyway lambda mm. Yes, great acronym. It yes, it is built on a neural network architecture, and it is basically trained to hold conversations. And I quote: "Can engage in a free-flowing way about a seemingly endless number of topics. It could, over time, make tools like search and Google Assistant more useful, user-friendly, all that." Hmm. But Blake Lemoy, I am sorry if I am not pronouncing this name incorrect. French names are just notorious, man. <laughs> Was an engineer who worked for the company for seven years on personalized algorithms and AI, and he was often dubbed Google's conscience by his coworkers. Anyway, Lemoy met Lambda. Also, like the entire way we project this is like we are also talking like Lambda is a person. Like met Lambda and had extended conversations with it because. of his job at an organization called Responsible AI which is when he was convinced that it was sentient he went off the rails about this belief and was soon put on leave for violating confidentiality that led very very little to keep him mum and he decided to share his findings with the world by basically publishing an interview with AI with lambda one of the conversations included lambda being asked whether it would like more people at google to know that it was indeed sentient to which lambda replied and i quote absolutely i want everyone to understand that i am in fact a person and this is just one of the eerie conversations as of now lemoy's theory hasn't yet stood up like very strong and even the tech world isn't entirely convinced nor is google for obvious reasons the evidence as of now is just not enough to stack up There was a lot more detail to what Lemoy said and what Google said in our big story, and I truly recommend reading it. And we, I'll link it in the show notes. But here's the thing: whether or not Lambda in specific is sentient, this whole episode begs questions about the real dangers of AI tech. There is an increasing sense of making like all robots and AI more human-like. What is that about? Do we actually need tech? to be and exist like humans and obviously if that has to happen there is a lot of data that is being fed into software so that it is thorough and human like so to say but considering we're even beginning to question sentience so hmm. what is ai actually taught look so the learning has to start somewhere right and obviously these language models are built to emulate human speech and to modernize these machines and humanize these machines we've opened up so many gateways for them we are no longer just feeding these ai 
programming languages and basic phrases so they can respond to basic questions like Siri in the earlier days or Google Assistant or whatever. In May, Meta opened up its language model to academics, civil society and government organizations. So imagine just how much scope of learning that has, right? And obviously, uh, we've also introduced uh, AI to the internet and being machines, they have already reached its farthest corners. Researchers say that most of the responses that these AI produce are use pattern recognition. Basically, they you pick up words and phrases from maybe Wikipedia, Reddit, other messaging boards on the internet that they find. And this is where the pattern recognition really comes into play. These large language models learn by being shown lots of text and then they predict word comes next. That is their learning. And or they show text with the words dropped out and they then basically fill in the blanks and stuff. So these machines don't really have any real understanding of what their output is. They can sound natural, but as one researcher puts puts it, we now have machines that can mindlessly generate words, but we haven't learned how to stop imagining a mind behind them. So obviously, the way, like you said, Sarah, that, you know, even we're projecting it as a person, we can't stop thinking of, oh, you know, artificial intelligence. So probably there's a thought process going behind it when it's all been programmed, right? And I think this cannot bode well for us or for machine learning, because not only are we not able to think of current AI only as generators of language, we're actively trying to make them sound natural, because back in 2018... Google had this experiment called Duplex, and they used this AI to make calls on behalf of their users. Useful. But the benchmark was whether the person the, that Duplex was calling was fooled into thinking that they were speaking to a real human. And then mm. there is also the fact that people apparently are likely to share and even go as far as, far as being vulnerable or even do a full 180 and go to extreme violence with these chatbots, even after knowing that they aren't speaking to real humans. And I sometimes think maybe we go to those extent, extents because, you know, we know that there isn't a person behind the screen. Back in January, Futurism reported that there was an AI app called Replica, and users could uh, create their own chatbots and to have text conversations because this uh, or semi-coherent text conversations. So the chatbot is also learning as the conversation progresses, right? Then several users began creating AI partners or girlfriends. And these users would then berate these chatbots, use gendered slurs because robot girlfriend, role play violent scenarios, and even fall into a cycle of abuse like they were in an actual relationship. The thing is, these chatbots aren't sentient. You've created them on an app. So they couldn't possibly feel hurt by this. But like I said, machine learning happens by picking up patterns and phrases. So I'm assuming the consequence of this is that these bots picked up and filed away the language that got hurled at them. So probably for further use, we don't know. And it feels like we're going deeper and deeper into sci-fi territory, which is cool. But we really are not equipped for it. I really don't think we are. I think like this entire time, I'm just thinking in terms of like you're saying we're going into sci-fi but mm-hmm. are we going to sci-fi are we like influenced by sci-fi is sci-fi influenced by us like what is happening mm-hmm. i feel i feel like it's in most cases it's science fiction that influences real science i mean i've seen few instances of it being the other way around i don't even think i've seen any have you guys seen any in- example of 
science, real science influencing science fiction? Not off the top of my head, but it's also not like a beat that I keep very up to date with. Also, I think that, you know, this could have been argued before when we were still developing stuff. But now that we've progressed so much, I think now you could have at that time said, oh, you know, somebody is making a based off of an invention that somebody's made people are making films yeah like you can rip off whatever, stuff right? yeah but i don't think right now we're at the stage of ai and stuff i don't think that we are really influencing sci-fi as much as our imagination is influencing us right yeah true and i think ideation always comes first plus i think mm. conceptually science fiction is supposed to be outlandish and futuristic it wouldn't be science fiction if it was not inspired by real i mean if it was inspired by application based science mm. so i don't yeah. think it's really up to debate at all actually as to who influences what it's clearly science fiction influencing science but that's what is problematic because we forget that the inspiration from science fiction has its own problems like if your science emulates what science fiction has wanted to do because science fiction is built on making a good story making it engaging and entertaining and not yeah. solving problems for the world it's right. it's tried as much to be relatable to make an engaging and crazy story you know science does not need that science fiction needs to have anthropomorphic robots that look and talk like humans to make a story more relatable mysterious and futuristic but we don't actually need that and yet this week we learned that japanese researchers have built a robotic finger covered in living human skin that bends and folds seamlessly recovers from a wound on its own why why what is the reason for this great development to make it look like a human why <laughs> that's the real question <laughs> this entire podcast is like going what why why where how who it's great you cover all your questions yeah yes <laughs> Now, some researchers studying artificial agents have found that this you will connect with Sarah. I'm quoting: mm-hmm. the likability of an artificial agent increases the more human-like it becomes. So this might be the reason why. And to continue the quote, but only up to a point. Sometimes people seem not to like it when the robot or computer graphic becomes too human-like. And there's a term for this. It's called the uncanny valley. You can look it up. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean. I think I would be visibly uncomfortable if like my head knows that it is a robot but it's behaving like too human like mm. like so mm. it messes with bit. your system it's like it, you're you're confused and a little bit alarmed as to how to deal with this because you also have that science fiction thing going on in your background right like it's all up in your head that oh you know it might be real is it it understands me there's lots of the other ethical concerns about making robots more and more human like like the concern that lemoy raised that it fools people into thinking that ai is way more advanced than it actually is people start feeling a connection to it an extreme version of it was shown in that movie oh it's such a great movie have you seen the movie her i haven't starring jokin phoenix it's a really great movie but that's a that's it's one of my all time favorites that's still a good uh, you know science fiction like it's decent ending it's not like oh my god apocalyptic or anything but the real world application of that recently happened on that replica app right and that's not even close mm. to being a pretty picture so and other critics also say that you know in the effort to make ai more and more human like which first of all i mean it's fully debatable as to whether we should do it or not but when you do that and you devote your attention to doing that you forget that ai has serious problems like fundamentally like more fundamental problems that it has which is 
basically the resulting discrimination from algorithmic biases the information that you feed it is mm. clearly biased is clearly not coming from is not as equal or as uh, accommodating or non racist or sexist or misogynistic as you would like it to be and which is basically prafulla's point about what we feed the ai so there's all kinds of issues that we should be looking at rather than making ai more human like and confusing us and taking us to the uncanny valley <laughs> uh what a delightful time to be living in <laughs> ai that scares us more than helps us on that note we come to the end of this segment we'll be right back after a short break you're listening to press decode on the ivm podcast Welcome back to Press Decode and the IVM Podcast Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. It is personally my fave. And like always, the stage is Prafulla's for least fave items. Yeah, I just cannot find fave items that easily, you know. But if you're having a bad day at work, I know some of us are right now, but this may help. I don't know if you've kept up with uh, the news much, but NASA has been plotting a return to the moon. a victorious return for a very long long time the rocket system the sls the space launch system has already been the center of a lot of controversy it has had lots of technical difficulties over the years and this has pushed the project back over and over and has become very very costly for nasa and because the lunar program is so super hype nasa is also building a special launch tower for the sls because their existing tower apparently will just not do the job So they hired this contractor called Bechtel and Bechtel has done such a terrible job that an audit by the NASA Inspector General which has been released also to the public has openly called it out for what it is. It has said that Bechtel's poor performance has cost NASA 2.5 billion extra than what the project was supposed to and has also pushed the project 2.5 years back. The tower was supposed to be delivered next year in March and now we may not see the tower till about 2025. And uh, also sucks for Bechtel is the fact that um they have essentially pushed the entire moon project which is the artemis 4 which was supposed to go up around 2025 back to 2028 and that is if they don't face any more problems now they should just call uh, mohan bhargav back <laughs> that is a wonderful call back so i have a fave item again and i think considering just the sheer number of fave items i've had i should give up like this whole personality that i have built of grumpy cat because clearly i'm not grumpy enough in this new year which is disappointing in a way but okay maybe if i give it up i will get least favorite anyway coca cola and jack daniels got together to solve the most annoying thing about cocktails the fact like it requires assembly the solution a jack and coke can that contains jack daniels tennessee whiskey it will launch in around 2023 and will even include a zero sugar version i don't know who gives a shit about sugar when they're drinking cocktails but well good for them and i also found out while reading this that pepsi has already teamed up with sam adams brewer boston beer to offer an alcoholic version of mountain dew which i truly have mixed feelings about but this is not why this is my favorite item i come bearing gifts <laughs> all this is more recent but i don't know if anyone listening actually has come across this magical thing right in our backyard We have a cocktail version of the good old Old Monk, 
bottles that come in like visa style bottles that are pre-mixed with coke it and i saw it sometime in january this year but and for the episode i was looking it up it launched in 2018 and is part of the old monk connoisseur collection and i'm convinced this is exactly how like technology and innovation should work like i don't know why we're caring about sentient robots and what not this yeah i know why <laughs> are tech bros listening <laughs> it's like make more convenient cocktails more convenient ways to drink then i can stand behind this and don't make it an nft yes thank you <laughs> also if i for anyone listening this is unfortunately not a paid promotion but hey the good folks at old monk if you're listening i'm just saying you do have a fan in me <laughs> my fave for this week comes from the collection titled content ki kami nahi hai is desh mein <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite genre of news i know i know it's totally up your alley so yes. two star crossed lovers a man and a woman in up married to different people hating their lives for not being with each other promising to leave their partners for each other finally had it one day and decided to end their life together by jumping in the yamuna they fixed a time how is this it was a date how is this your fake item boss wait <laughs> wait for it <laughs> they reached the end of the bridge except the woman jumped but the man decided not to at the last moment typical no! <laughs> yet again the man was disappointing i'm so surprised <laughs> Now she knew how to swim so she swam back and angered by her lover's disloyalty she filed an FIR the man wow. is now booked for attempt to murder oh. <laughs> that is that is brilliant does this count like as a girl moment or does this count as a what the hell were both of you thinking moment i don't know i mean the lives definitely would have ended all i feel is that content ki kami nahi hai is desh mein i mean the lives definitely would have ended because they chose the yamuna of all places There's that. Regardless of whether they, if, whether they knew how to swim, they would have died of the fumes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, glad the woman's alive then. She made I filed an FIR. Such a delightful story. I love it. <laughs> You're right, right up my alley. <laughs> anyway, that was our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Press Decode. You can catch us every Thursday on the IVM Podcast Network. And guys. Please remember, don't let the news give you the blues. <laughs> <laughs>